Philippians chapter 3 is what we're going to be studying. I was thinking about bringing uh, some Legos into church this morning and have a little box of Legos set up for everyone to look at, but I realized that while I have Mega Blocks and I have Duplos in the house, I don't have any Legos. So if anyone wants to rectify that situation. I'm going to move your clarinet, Maggie. There are two types of people who build with Legos. I don't know if you knew this fact. There are two types of people who build with Legos. The first type is the people who open up the box excitedly, and they look at it, and they are in awe of it. And then they grab the instructions, and they painstakingly build whatever the creators of Legos wanted them to build in that moment. And they finish it, and they put it on a shelf. And it's amazing. That's the first type of people who build Legos. The second type of people are the people who go to the Lego box, and they open up in amazement, and they look in awe of what is inside the Lego box. And then they take that box, and they dump it in their reservoir of all the other Lego pieces that are there and they make whatever they want to. Both people have fun. Who is Lego block, block builder type number one? Okay, who is Lego block builder type number two? Who doesn't want to admit? Who has never built with Legos? Sadness, we need to have a family Lego building night. Okay. Yeah, Chuck? Really? Well, good for him. <laughs> we need both types of people in this world, just to let you know. We do. We need both types of people. And you might say, why is Pastor talking about Legos this morning? Number one, I like Legos. But number two, every single person, if stuck in an empty room, and the only thing that is there is Legos, and you're there for a week, you will be building with all those Legos. You will. Every single person builds with Legos. And every single person has a different style in their building with Legos. You have the two types of people, but there's different styles. Just like every single person will build with, build, will build with Legos, every single person is someone who God has tasked to build in this world. Not just with Legos, but with people's lives. Paul says in this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 17, he says that we are God's builders, so let us build. If you read with me in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 17, if you want to follow along, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 17, Paul says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ." If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Paul has been teaching the Corinthians as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians from chapter 1 until now, he's been talking to them what it means to have a unity based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a unity based on teachers, not a unity based on minor points of doctrine, a unity based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have spent several weeks discussing the gospel uh, as Paul has gone through his letter, how it's based upon what God has said, not what man has said, how it's based on God's wisdom, not man's wisdom, and therefore we should be trying to share with others what God has done instead of our own understanding. Now Paul is circling it back after discussing the gospel to talk about unity. He does this by reminding the Corinthians that who he is as a servant of God and by reminding the Corinthians how they should view servants of God. This week, based on these verses, we're going to discuss how we are servants of God. Next week, based on these verses, we're going to discuss how we should view other servants of God. So this week is how we should view ourselves. Next week, how we should view others. Will you pray with me before I dive in? Father, thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am. You are the one who created all things, and by your hand, all things are held together. You are the God who, yes, is above all things and glorious and mighty, but you are also the one who is with us, Emmanuel, the one who desires to have a relationship with us, to be known by us, and so you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you for that fact. Lord, thank you that you give us the strength every day to live it for your honor and your glory. You give us hope, you give us peace, and you give assurance of who we are in your sight. We're grateful for that, Lord. Now today, as we study your word that you've given us, that we might know you. Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Paul says that we are builders, so let us build. First, we're going to look at the identity of the builder. Who are we? Paul writes, he says in verse 9, we are co-workers in God's service. So the simple answer, who are we? We belong to God. We belong to God. Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We here at Calvary Bible Church believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We believe that he earned forgiveness and reconciliation for us with the creator of the universe. We believe that we can have a personal relationship with him through that death on the cross. And we believe that this salvation is a free gift for anyone who believes in Jesus alone. We turn from ourselves, anything that we could do, and we turn to Jesus, and we fall on him and say, save me, I can do nothing, do everything for me. We believe that this salvation is free. We don't have to work to earn it. But we believe that this gift, this salvation, is not a free license to do whatever we want. It's a free gift, but not a free license. 
when we turn to Jesus in faith, we are joining Jesus' team. We're replacing our master of sin that we were under before with our master of Jesus Christ. We seek to serve him now with our life instead of everything else. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 is talking about this. In 1 Corinthians 3, he uses this language of an employer and an employee. He says we are workers in God's service. God is our employer and he gives us wages based upon what we do. In verse 8, Paul says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Later in the sermon, we're going to talk about rewards. Here, Paul uses the illustration that we're working for God and he's giving us wages, rewards based upon what we do. We could apply this in lots of different ways. We could talk about how uh, we're supposed to work well for the Lord. When he calls us to do something, we should do it with our whole selves, without grumbling, without complaining. We could talk about uh, lots of other applications, but Paul is giving one specific application here. He says that if he as a servant is working for God, and therefore drawing wages from God, the Corinthians as a church have no hold over him. He is not working for the Corinthians. He's working for God. Apollos, the other pastor of that church, was not working for the Corinthians. He was working for God. Peter was not working for the Corinthians. He was working for God. The same is true for us. If we belong to God, our goal is to please him with our lives, not to please the person sitting next to us. Now, many of you are sitting next to your spouse or your kids, and yes, you want to please them, but the goal is to please God. And as we please God, we will then turn around and please those around us. If we're constantly in our lives trying to please people, we'll never truly please them. The only way we can truly please and love someone around us is to first please and love God, and through pursuing him, he allows us then to please and love those around us. We are gods. We are gods belonging to God. When you have the choice of speaking truth or being liked, we are called to speak truth because we belong to God. Because we belong to God, we'll speak the truth in a likable way, but the point is to glorify God, to please him, not the people around us. So Paul says, who are we? He says, we belong to God. Not only do we belong to God, but Paul says that we are co-workers. We are co-workers. In verse 9, Paul says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ is co-workers together in God's service. That means under God, we are all the same. You, me, the deacons, from the people who teach the lesson to the people who hand out bulletins, the people who run the sound, to the people who work behind the scenes and mow each other's yards, we are all on one level under God, under his service. Every single one of us. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. We are all the same. We're co-workers in God's service. God has given us different giftings and talents to use in his service, but not one of us is higher in those giftings and talents. Later in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is going to say, in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26, Paul is going to say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul says we are all co-workers in God's service, no matter who we are, no matter what we do. Unfortunately, since we are humans, we as humans sometimes can get into this hero worship role that we look at other Christians and we say, oh, there goes Pastor Peter. He's such an amazing Christian. He does such amazing things. I wish I could be like him. That might be unrealistic application. Perhaps we go to people like John Piper or John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll, David Jeremiah, Greg Laurie, or any other sort of person we might listen to on the radio or whose book we might take off the Christian bookshelf and and read it. And we think, wow, these people are such great Christians. They teach things so well. They're amazing. They know the Bible. So awesome. I wish I knew the Bible that well. Perhaps, perhaps we go to, to visit one of their churches or something or one of the revivals that they, and we go and we sit down in the pew and we look at them and we think, oh my goodness, he's right there. And, then, and we feel that little flutter in our stomach and the butterflies start flying around and maybe, perhaps, at the end we take our Bible up to them and we say, hey, could you autograph this for me? When I was immature, spiritually, I did that once. He was very gracious and autographed it. I don't know where the Bible went. (laughs) That's hero worship. But God says that we are all the same. We are all co-workers. No matter if we're John Piper, no matter if we're Dean Summer, no matter if we're Mike Mossad, we are all co-workers in God's service. Not one of us more important than the other. Each of us has our own field, our own building that we are building on and sowing in for the increase of the kingdom and the glory of God. We shouldn't let hero worship get in the way of our service for God. Who are we? Paul says we belong to God. He says we are co-workers. Third, he says that we are responsible. We are responsible. Responsible is a big word. Not only does it have many syllables in it, but it comes with this weight to it. It's a word that few people want to truly accept as applying to themselves because when we are responsible, pain comes. We have an obligation to do something. But as co-workers under God, we do have an obligation to do something. Paul says in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. God has assigned to everyone a task. Before I came here, when I lived down in the huge monstrosity of Dallas, Texas, I was an evening manager at Chick-fil-A. I still love Chick-fil-A. Whenever I get into civilization, I try to stop at Chick-fil-A. I'm hoping that Norfolk gets Chick-fil-A someday. I was in charge of 12 to 15 high schoolers every night. I was the oldest person there. Besides me, the next oldest was 17 years old. The rest were younger than that. And they would walk in and I would immediately greet them right away because if I didn't, they would be off somewhere else. Immediately greet them right away and say, this is your duty for today. And this is what I expect to be done before you clock out. And then 
I would watch them for the next three to eight hours and make sure they did all their duties. Make sure that no machines blew up, make sure that all the customers got served and everyone was happy. If they did not fulfill their obligation, they, there were consequences. Paul uses agricultural imagery for the tasks that he and Apollos were assigned as ministers in Corinth. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul planted the seeds of the gospel. He made sure people knew the essential truths of who God was and who Jesus was and what he did for us. Apollos came later and discipled the Corinthians. He explained more fully what it meant to follow Jesus Christ through what we believe and what we do. Neither one's task was more important because they were equal co-workers under God. Neither one's task gave them boasting ability. Paul says in verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. We believe that God is the one who's in charge. We do things for him, but he is the one who ultimately brings fruit out of the work that we do. We just do the tasks. I guess the question is, are we doing the tasks? If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, declaring that we are on his team, that we have clocked in, and he has given tasks to do, are we doing them? A responsibility has been placed on our shoulders if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, even though most of us would say that we are adults, lots of times because we're human, we start acting like high school students and continually find ways to duck out of our responsibility and say, oh no, that other person could do it. Oh, oh that person's gifted better than I am. Ah, oh, we pay the pastor, he can do it. There's so many ways we can duck out of our responsibility. But God has given us tasks that we are to accomplish. You might say, well, I don't know the tasks I'm supposed to do. Come to me. Talk to me. Ask. There's lots of stuff to do. In fact, there's more stuff to do than there are people. But God has given us tasks that we are to do. So who are we? God says we belong to God. He says we are co-workers. He says we are responsible. Last, he says we bring things of value. We bring things of value. Paul says in verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. What we do for God, the tasks that we do have value. The world might tell us differently. They might say, no, do this other thing because it has more value. But God says the things you do for me have the most value. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do for God has value. What we do for our depraved passions and desires does not have value. What we do for God has value. The treasure that Jesus speaks of is the rewards that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 3. Later in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, he talks about crowns. Peter and James also write about crowns being given to, to, to people based on their labor. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaks of a prize that is given. Whether we speak of crowns, prizes, rewards, the Bible isn't really clear what these things are. All we know is that when we get to eternity one day, we're going to be given something based upon what we do. 
We know that we are co-workers, that we're all the same status. So when we get to eternity, we're all going to have the same status. There's not going to be different levels of spirituality. It's not going to be like we're up here and we see someone up there in the penthouse of eternity saying, wow, look at them. There's not going to be any, wow, look at them in eternity. It's not. We're all the same level in eternity. We're all in God's service, but God is going to give us something in relation to our labor according to its nature its authenticity, its motivation, and its quality. And I truly believe that when we get to eternity and we receive whatever reward that God gives us, we're going to follow the example of the 24 elders spoken of in Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, the Apostle John says that these 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In that moment when we enter into eternity and we get whatever meager rewards that were given, we're going to realize that everything that we have done on this earth has been only because of Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy for these honors that we hold, these rewards. Apart from him, we're able to do nothing. And so we're going to turn around and we're going to fall before his throne and lay these rewards at his feet and say, these are yours. They're not mine. Take them. You are worthy alone. And we're going to spend all the rest of eternity glorifying and praising this one who has done so much for us. What is our identity as the builder? We belong to God. We are co-workers. We are responsible. We bring things of value. That is our identity. Which leads us to our responsibility. Our responsibility. You might say, well, you just talked about how we're responsible. That's true. But being responsible and having a responsibility are two different things. One thing is an adjective and the other is a noun. But responsible means we have an obligation to accomplish a task. Responsibility builds off of that. It speaks of being accountable for something. Yes, we have a task complete, and we must complete that task according to the right guidelines. So if you are the type of person that takes the Lego box and puts it all together according to the instructions, this is going to be great for you. If you're the type of person that takes the Lego box and doesn't build it according to the instructions, this might be a challenge for you. Because spiritually, we must always build according to the guidelines. We must always build according to the guidelines. So what is our responsibility? Paul says that our responsibility first is to lay the right foundation. To lay the right foundation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is switching from the agricultural and the employee-employer illustration to a construction illustration. He says that when we serve, when we interact with people, we're building a spiritual foundation in people's lives, and we have a choice what foundation we want to lay in the lives of those around us. He says the only foundation which lasts is that of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells a parable about a man who builds a foundation, and one man builds a foundation on rock, another man builds a foundation on sand, and lots of Sunday schools teach this illustration. But though we might know this parable, we don't often take it to heart when we interact with others. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, 
He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We're called to lay the right foundation in our lives and the lives of those around us. We're called to urge people to build their lives on Jesus, who he is and what he said. This foundation speaks of our priorities, our motivations, our excuses, what we spend our time on and why, the choices we make. If we, because of this misplaced conception of what friendship is or what love is, allows any other foundation in someone's life other than Jesus Christ, their life is going to fall apart. As I say this, I think of friends in my past who I interacted with and spent a considerable amount of time with, and I knew that they were pursuing things other than Jesus Christ. I, even though they claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I knew they were not pursuing other things other than Jesus Christ. There were more important things in their life. But I said, I'm their friend. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm their friend. I don't want to lose their friendship. I want to show them love. Therefore, I want them to be happy. And then sooner or later, their lives just completely broke down because Jesus was not the center of it. We must lay the right foundation. Second, Paul says we have a responsibility to use the right materials. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 13, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 13, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Paul says that there are some things that we do that have eternal value and some things that we do not. When we're interacting with people, when we're serving in the church, the things we do for the good of each other, there's some things that we do that have eternal value and some things that do not. These things that do not have eternal value could be things of self-interest, things we do for other people's applause, things we do for self-gain. It could be beliefs that we have, things that we teach other people that are actually not true. We just think that they are and we hold them up to be the same level as gospel. It's telling that these elements that we do won't be revealed for what they truly are until Judgment Day. There are things that we do here at Calvary Bible Church that we think are amazing, that we think they're building up the body of Christ in an awesome way, but one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church, and the things that we thought were great are going to be revealed as just wood, hay, or straw, and this knowledge should keep us humble. We're not God we don't know everything. We don't have the right theology all the time. We don't have the right words. We don't have the right plans for outreach. We have the wrong priorities for our life so often because that's who we are. We're, we're not God. We're human. We don't know everything, which is why we need to pursue God's wisdom to use the right material. That's why our Wednesday night prayer meeting is so important. We need to seek God. We need his help and his wisdom to use the correct tools in the tasks he has given us as a church. It is arrogant to say that we can know the right materials on our own, therefore we don't need to pursue God and seek him. 
We must seek his wisdom. And when he reveals what we are to do, we take that building material and we place it on the foundation that God has given us. And we keep building. We seek him, we keep building. Paul says we have a responsibility to lay the right foundation. We have a responsibility to use the correct materials. So, we've talked about identity. We've talked about responsibility. Finally, we're going to talk about the warning. The warning to the builder. Paul asks two questions for the warning. He says, first, what material are you using? We've talked about things of eternal value and things that are not of eternal value. We talked about how the material that we use will be revealed in the judgment day. Well, Paul discusses how that happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, Paul says, Their work will be sown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Excuse me, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Paul talks about our building materials being placed through a fire. The worthless stuff will be burnt up, as we would expect. The eternal stuff will be purified and will shine all that brighter. The Corinthians understand this image that Paul is saying. It's not just this strange, funky metaphor that Paul is using. Back in the day, several hundred years before Paul was in Corinth, the city of Corinth was destroyed by fire. Completely destroyed by the Romans. And the city was left in rubble. Then, Julius Caesar comes in. And he starts rebuilding the city of Corinth. And he brings architects and laborers and slaves to come in. And each is assigned their own building to build. There are some people that build their building impeccably. It's the people who use the instructions. And they build it with stones and they complete it and it looks great. And there's other people over here that are lazy. And they say, eh, it'll be fine. And they throw, pick up some stones, but they don't haul in any extra stones. Instead, to patch where they don't have stones, they put in hay, wood, and straw, and they plaster it over. And so it looks great on the outside. So the Corinthians at this time know this happened. And they were able to walk around and say, yeah, that, that, that house, that's, that's all stone. Yeah, I know this house looks good, but that one has wood, hay, stubble. And they're always afraid at this time that a fire is going to come through. Because the houses that are made with patches of wood, hay, and stubble going to burn. And that fire reveals the work that happens. So when Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, immediately the bells are going off in their heads saying, I understand this and I don't want this to happen in my life. I don't want this to happen in my life. We have a responsibility to the task which God has given us. We know that judgment is coming. We know it's coming. We know this judgment is going to reveal the quality of our work, what we considered our priorities, what we considered our desires, the things, the choices we made. And one day, when we stand in the final day, do we want everything that we lived our lives for to be burned up? Paul says in other places, our salvation is secure. This is not our salvation that he's talking about. But one day we will stand And will we stand surviving only by the skin of our teeth and the blood of Jesus Christ, having nothing to show for our entire life? Or are we going to have something that God gives us that we can turn around and give to Jesus and say, you are worthy for this. Thank you for what you've done in my life. What is it going to be? What do we want our judgment going to be like in the final day? Men of this church, 
How do we warrant our work to be received one day when we stand before God himself? How are we leading in this church and in our family? Are we building with the materials that last or are we just throwing things together to get by? Are in our leadership that God has given us, is it a leadership of drawing people to God? Or in our life, have we abdicated, allowing someone else to build when it was our task? What is it going to be, men, when we stand before God one day? Woman, how is your work? I can't say our work, I'm a guy. How is your work? How are you supporting and lifting up the ministries of the church and the family? Through your life, your actions, and your words, are you encouraging spirituality? Are you encouraging worldliness? What is it going to be when you stand before your creator one day? What is going to be revealed? Friends and family members, how are our attitudes, our interactions, our speech, Are we those who, yes, confess to be dependent on Jesus Christ and are living accordingly? Or are we trying to live every single day that we live on our own, in our own strength, for our own pleasure? Are we those constantly praising God with our actions and with our words? Or are we caught up in the worries of this world? Which is it? What are the materials that we are building with? Will we who are gods and called to a task see the work that we have done completely obliterated or not. Paul asks, what are the materials we're building? Secondly, Paul asks, how are we helping the building? How are we helping the building? He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, one person said these might be some of the most harsh words in the New Testament. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Now we here in Nebraska and in Northern America, uh, we don't have a different word for you as in one person and you as multiple people, plural. In the South, there is you, y'all, and if you want to be very specific, all y'all, just so you don't leave anyone out. In Paul's day, they had a different word for you, singular, and you, plural. And here in this word, he is using the plural. He's saying y'all. He says y'all are God's temple. He's not speaking of individual Christians here. Later in Corinth, he's going to talk about each one of us is a temple of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We should keep our temple well. But here, he says y'all together are God's temple the church as a whole, the God's spirit dwells in the midst of the local church. And he says, everyone should take care not to destroy the local church because it is God's temple. And he says, God will destroy the person who destroys the local temple. If you think of a building, a building can be destroyed passively and actively. I've been to plenty of buildings. In fact, there's a building, a house right across the street from me. It's not my in-laws. It's the one next to them that is falling apart because it is not being taken care of. People haven't been going in, cleaning it, repairing it, restoring it, and it's slowly just melting down, destroyed due to apathy. And there are plenty of churches where no one does anything. They, they expect the certain people to do all the work, and those ch- churches are slowly being destroyed because of people who do nothing. 
These are people who have taken their tasks from God and said, yep, I'm your follower. God's given them their tasks. They said, hey, that's cool. They stuck it in their pocket and they sit on their front porch drinking tea and the building is slowly crumbling around them. They are destroying God's temple because they're not doing anything. And God says he will destroy that person. And that is harsh. Yes, it is. But that's how much God cares about the local church, the individual bodies of believers that gather together to worship him. He cares about them that much. Do we? Do we? Or are we allowing the church to be destroyed through apathy? A building can also be destroyed not just through neglect, but through a wrecking ball. The Corinthians were using a wrecking ball on their church. They were fighting, considering themselves more spiritual than the other person, thinking that some people should not be allowed to serve, refusing to fellowship with others, squabbling over minor points of doctrine, declaring that someone wasn't saved because there was a disagreement over what Paul said, the words that he used. And so many churches have been destroyed because of wrecking balls in the congregation. And God said that he will destroy the person that wrecks his church through a wrecking ball by what they say, by divisions that they do, by tearing each other down. God says he will destroy the person that destroys his church. God expects us not to destroy his church. He expects us to actively build his church. We should be continually asking questions such as, how can I build up the church that God has called me to serve and worship at? How can I encourage the person who's sitting across from me? Does the person who I am near know who God is better because of my interactions with them? Paul gives us a warning, and we should heed that warning. That we stand before a box of Legos, a half-built creation beside it, because the building won't be completed until Jesus comes again. And there's an instruction manual next to us. Will we live according to our identity, accepting our responsibility, and courageously heeding the warning Will we do that? We are God's builders, so let us build. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are our God and that even though you do not need us, you have asked us to help you advance your kingdom and to let people know who you are. Lord, teach us what it means to build foundations and to interact with people so that they could know you to have the right priorities and the right desires, to live in line with your calling. Lord, give us each a passion in what to do to serve you, and we not, may we not rest until we use that passion. Thanks, Father. Amen.